This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Happy June, TJ. Um, We are inching ever so close to the start of training camp. Still seems like it's a long ways away, but you and I both know June, July are going to go fast uh, for these players. Not nearly fast enough for us now as fans, but um, it got me thinking. Um, We did a topic this morning on the morning show, and I've got to ask your opinion because to me – it seems cut and dried, very clear. Would you rather, um, and this topic came up because Michigan's baseball team, who was in the NCAA tournament, got blown out by Louisville 20-1. to They do have a chance to play again today, and we don't know what the, the outcome of that game is going to be, and in, in full disclosure, obviously recording this before that game happens, but that's not the point, and it's not about you know Michigan. It's about... The fact that they lost 20 to 1, absolutely got their doors blown off. Would you rather lose a game like that, 20 to 1, where you know you were never in it, or would you rather lose a heartbreaker, a walk off home run, a long touchdown pass, whatever it is at the end of the game that causes you to lose? You're on the losing end no matter what. One is a blowout, the other one's a heartbreaker. Which one would you rather live with and lose? I'd rather get blown out. You're such. I a would blown out. Really? And, and I'm talking um, just from from experience here. I mean, the worst loss I've ever had in my NFL playing career was 2014 NFC Championship game um, against Seattle. We had them on the ropes whole game up 16 nothing. Just a dogfight. They come back and. Uh, score a late touchdown, they get the onside kick, they score another touchdown. We come back, you know, force the game in the overtime as time expires with the field goal, and then we get beaten overtime. Um, that was that was the most regretful loss I've ever had, right? Because I think you look at one or two plays, you could have done better, maybe gotten a first down. Um, those things eat at you. And I've also played games, 2016 NFC Championship game against Atlanta, it felt like we were down 31 nothing, getting off the bus. I mean, we just got absolutely manhandled. I think the final was, you know, 45 to 20, one of those type games where we were just never in it. And there's some games that I felt like, 
you know, as the game goes on, you just have a feeling, right? It just isn't our day. These guys are doing everything right over there. They're getting every bounce. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get blown out. It happens. But there's also games that you feel like you should win. And especially in, when you talk about playoffs, postseason implications, um, no, those tough ones are, are, are really hard. They're really hard. And, and look, I'd rather compete. I mean, if that's what you're getting at, I'd rather be in every game and close with a chance to win. But those losses, the close ones, are are definitely harder, in my opinion. Well, there's no question. I'm I'm not saying they're not harder to to to, to deal with or come back from. But I got to imagine now in the NFL, um, I do have to say that I was never in that position where we were in an NFC Championship game or a Super Bowl and lost a heartbreaker or lost a blowout either way. But just from my experiences, I would much rather, especially if I'm in a championship game, know that it came down to a last-second play. While it may be harder to live with the rest of my life, I'd rather know that I actually belonged on the field. If you get blown out in that situation, then – to me, it's like you didn't even belong on the field. Maybe, you know, even though you earned the right to be there, nobody else did, you didn't belong on the field against your opponent that day. And I think, to me, that's harder to deal with or harder to live with than, yeah, it may hurt more to lose by a last-second field goal touchdown or, you know, a heartbreaker any way, shape, or form, but... To me, it would be harder to live with the fact that, you know what, we didn't even belong on the field with these guys. Well, I, I think that when you talk about team sports, anytime there's a blowout, it's not just on one, two, or three guys. I mean, it's a whole team effort. When you get blown out bad, I mean, nobody's playing well, right? Yeah. When you lose a really close game, um, I think that personally ate at me more because – you know, then for the next two, three, four, five days, all I'm thinking about is maybe one play that I could have done better on to change the outcome of the game, right? When you get blown out, yeah. you just look at your teammates like, dude, we all sucked. <laughs> like, so let's get back yeah. to the drawing board. And look, if you're getting blown out every single game, um, obviously well, obviously, yeah. you don't belong out there. Some yeah. some people may not belong out there. But um, <clears throat> I think when you get blown out, it's easier just to come back the next day and just completely hit the reset button. And then just start over. When you lose close games like that, the heartbreakers, I think it's it's tough because you really, like I said, I mean, you don't, maybe not necessarily everybody had a bad game, right? Maybe it was just one or two guys. Maybe you were one of the guys that just uh, that eats at you. So I think that's kind of my mindset is if we're going to lose, I'd rather get, I'd rather get blown out. <laughs> I don't know why I'd rather get blown out because the close ones just – when you put so much effort into not only the preparation but what goes on on game day and, you know, take a look at just the Lions last season, Baltimore, Minnesota, getting beat by two, you know, late second long field goals. I mean, those kind of, those eat at you a little bit more than losing, you know, uh, 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 getting your ass kicked at Seattle, right, where everybody just had a bad day. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just – I felt like the close games, I always, always just ate at me a little bit more. The close well, losses, I should say. The heartbreakers. I mean, during the regular season, yeah, you want to play competitive games and you might not be upset. But when you talk about, you know, playoff games, postseason type games, um, as a player, I mean, 
I, I would rather get blown out than, than to, yeah. you know, torture yourself for 60 minutes back and forth and then lose at the end. Yeah. That's just uh, that's tough. That's tough to deal with. Obviously, you've been in that situation in championship games at the professional level. I have not. So I will say I'll give you the 51% on this one. I'll take the 49. I'm going to hold tight to my opinion that at least for me, and this is, this is the, the thing too, is it's very subjective. Um, it could be one thing for you and be for me a completely different thing, but I just have always felt whether it was something riding on the game or not that I wanted to always make my opponent respect me, and it feels like there is a somewhat a loss of respect because I've been on the other side of that where we've blown some teams out and had absolutely no respect for that team when we were done. That didn't mean I didn't have respect for individuals. Right. Um, that would be 100% foolish, but – um, for that team, I, I did lose some respect. And the, the, the respect at the professional level, to me, is it's very important to have for your team individually. Um, and that's, so that's part of where I get to never want to be blown out. Would you like to call anybody out that you lost respect for in the NFL? Uh, well, as I stunk. said, uh, <laughs> it was never individual. We played San Francisco one year um, and played against uh, some some really good players. Um, uh, who was a defensive lineman? Uh, Bryant. Uh, and a lot of respect for him. Played against him a number of times. Um, Leroy Glover, when he was with New Orleans, had no respect for the New Orleans Saints the year that we played them. But a tremendous amount of respect for him. He was a brick house. And when he then went to the Dallas Cowboys, obviously had to play against him twice a year. And I'm glad that I respected him because he was always a formidable opponent. So individuals um, deserve some respect. Teams, however, that those individuals are on, not so much. Yeah. Well, there's some teams every year there's some yep. really good teams and for me i i honestly respected i mean sure you play against some players that you know you're, you're like okay like if i get beat by this guy i'm gonna i might hang him up right yep. <laughs> like this guy's got no business being out here but uh, uh, when, when you talk about big picture for me it was always like i, I always respected everybody i did i mean I, I because you just realize how hard it is you know to, to play in this league right if you're you're in the league i mean you're good enough player to you know, be an impact yeah. player. That was just always kind of my opinion. So um, I never really lost respect for many players. But, yeah, I mean, we've all played those teams where – I mean, to be honest with you, look, first, you know, four or five years in Green Bay, you know, not, not four or five, but maybe first two or three. I mean, we looked at the Lions and was just like, all right, guys, let's go out there, just go through the motion, get out there, you know, get out of there healthy. Like, that's just kind of how it was, you know. If, if, the, if our backup quarterback wasn't playing the fourth quarter, we didn't do a good enough job because that's how we just kind of viewed him. And then all of a sudden things started to change 2011, 12, 13. We're like, okay, this is a team we got to start respecting now. they got some players over there. So uh, things, I mean, they're, they're always very fluid in the NFL. I mean, every, every year you're going to have teams that stink. Um, and I know, look, I mean, even there's players last year on record saying uh, about the, the Detroit Lions. I mean, you look at the record, what, three wins, three – Gosh, I got to do math again. Three thirteen and one with the seventeen throws me off. But there were players on record, you know, Kyler Murray being one of them. I think Matthew Stafford, um, Aaron Rodgers said some nice things just about how tough of a team Detroit was. Right. Um, so, 
you know, that, that you, you can still be a bad team record-wise, but still have respect by the level of effort that you give on the field. Maybe, you know, you just don't have the type of talent at that moment. But I love how I just that's the beauty of NFL football, how fluid things are. You got bad teams one year, the next year they're, they're good. I mean, look at Cincy. You know, look yep. at what Cleveland went through for years. I know they haven't done anything uh, spectacular, but made, making the playoffs a couple of times. So that's, that's the beauty about the game is, is just uh, how, how up and down it is. You just mentioned a few teams, um, and I want to talk about some of the individuals on those teams, one of them being the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to ask you this question. If you turn on the TV, because right now there's not much, obviously, in terms of football going on, live football, USFL, which nobody is watching, um, but the NFL draft is done, free agency is done. There are still some guys that are going to be signed for free agency, but the bulk of it is done. We're talking about OTAs right now. We're talking about mandatory mini camp. Um, you know, fall camp will be coming out up at for some at the end of July, others the beginning of August. And I've got to ask you, when you look at the schedule, which is completely outed in its entirety, are there three players in the NFL that if they're playing a game, you may not, because you're working on Sunday, get a chance to watch every single play that a player makes, but are there three guys across the NFL that you're like, you know what, I want to follow this player because I just think that what they're doing is unique, it's special, there's just something about them that intrigues you about what their possibilities are for this upcoming season? Can I pick all offensive linemen? <laughs> Absolutely. Go <laughs> for it. That's pretty much what I watch uh, 99% of the games. Um, you know what? I will start. I think my favorite offensive lineman to watch, gosh, it's probably a tie, but uh, Quentin Nelson, guard from the Colts, is, uh, you know, he's, he's very fascinating to watch, just his technique and the size that he has and the speed that he plays with. Um, I've always I've always uh, respected the hell out of his game since he was a rookie in this league. Um, and Trent Williams is probably the other guy, offensive lineman, that uh, for me is just he, – he transcends the game of football from from an offensive line standpoint. Anytime you watch the San Francisco game last year, I mean, the announcers were talking about him half the game. Uh, good recognition. And he's just uh, – I mean, he's a very unique talent. I mean, the size that he has playing at like 340 – I mean, running a four seven, you see him in space. Just how fluid he is. I mean, that guy could probably play tight end in the NFL. Like that's how yeah. quick he is. Um, he's a guy that I really appreciate watching too. But I think the two uh, skill players that I kind of grew on me a lot last year. Um, one being Derrick Henry. I mean, I know he was hurt for a majority of the season, but that's just kind of musty TV. I mean, we're watching a six four, two hundred and fifty pound running back just Monster. destroy people <laughs> and you know some of the stiff arms that he throws out it seems like every game there's at least you know three or four highlight runs um that are just really really fascinating to watch um he's a guy that that really I mean obviously he's no sleeper or anything but um he's a guy that I really enjoy watching just because he's that kind of old school type toughness you know type player that that I appreciate and then the last guy I think who probably gained a lot of respect um, through the playoff run last year. I'm excited to see what he does this year is Josh Allen. 
mm-hmm. think he was a guy whose first couple years uh, in the NFL, not a lot of excitement, I think. You know, pe- first-round pick, everybody's thinking, what the hell, he's a big dude, right? He's got a cannon. But, you know, he had like a 52% completion percentage at Wyoming. And you're like, okay, you can't throw the ball at Wyoming. How's he going to do in the league? And then, he, you know, he's, he's really taking a step every single year. And last year um, – Obviously, probably the game of the year, one of the best games uh, of probably the last 10 years was that playoff game between him and uh, Kansas City when they were just dueling late in the game and uh, seemed like there were seven touchdowns scored in the last two minutes of that yeah. game. I mean, he was, a, he was a special player. And I think when you just combine his size, uh, his arm strength, his speed, his toughness, his physicality, it's something that is – a little bit of a dying breed, I think, at the quarterback position where you have these guys that are willing to go duck their head and run and dive and do whatever they got to do to get a first down and extend a drive um, or go for the end zone. Some of the plays that he makes is uh, are really special. So he's a guy that, that I've really enjoyed watching, not only the trajectory of his career, but um, – just the excitement around him. I mean, every t- every single time he's got the ball in his hand, you're like, okay, well, like, what's he going to do? This could be a big play, you know? And uh, for me, I think that those are the type of players that I just love watching, kind of those old-school guys who kind of keep keep a little bit quiet but just do the dirty work and go out there and grind and play tough and physical. And, um, you know, those three guys for me, I, I don't know if they're the three best guys in the league right now. but Oh, it doesn't have I'm, to be the right. three best guys, I, just the guys that you like I watching. I think they're, the, they're just the guys that, that, that I really I – re, I respect the hell out of their game, and they're, they're a lot of fun to watch. Uh, well, I, I would not argue that um, almost at all uh, in regards to Trent Williams – um, he's the guy, and, and Quentin Nelson is, is along the same lines, two different positions, uh, one guard, one, one tackle. But when you got watch guys come off the ball and you feel like they are trained killers because they can drive guys off the ball, and that's, that's what you expect offensive linemen to do. Um, you expect them to be good at the point of attack. But when I watch both those guys in space, especially Trent Williams, when he's hunting down a linebacker or a safety or if he's backside and, uh, or he's pulling on a, a sweep play and he's out there trying to get a corner, I mean, he's a heat-seeking missile yeah. and he is a trained <laughs> killer. He is looking to murder someone. And that, to me, is so much fun to watch. And the rarity of it, because there's a lot of guys with that mindset, but they just don't have that ability to right. block in space. Or I mean, the consistency you, to do it every single time. You yeah, know, you catch you, a linebacker when he's not looking at you. Right. Okay, yeah, oh, that, that, that looks great, and it's one for your highlight reel, but when you can do it uh, time in and time out, uh, that's what makes, I think, those guys so special. I'm going to give you a couple more that you didn't say, because I was going to say Derrick Henry. I'm going to replace him. Uh, with a guy like Mark Andrews, okay, who you know, tight end for Baltimore, the tight end position, whether it's been Travis Kelsey, um, and you could go right down the list, has somewhat evolved into hey, we 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 celebrate the guys that are only pass catchers at that position, and I'm not saying that that Kelsey is a pat just a pass catcher, but when I watch Mark Andrews. One of the things that I love is watching a guy that has the awareness and tries to play a complete game. At the point of attack, he does a good job of, you know, passing off double teams to his tackle. Um, when they're at the point of attack, uh, backside, he's got the awareness of 
uh, head and hat placement. Um, and, you know, just the effectiveness of those blocks doesn't have to be a, a killer at that point. But, you know, you never see or you rarely see guys come across his face to make a play in the backfield. And watching just him play as a, you know, a bigger tight end, um, I think is is a lot of fun to watch. And, and when Baltimore's playing, I know a lot of eyes are on Lamar Jackson, but I'm really focused on Mark Andrews and what he can do at that tight end position. Uh, another guy that I think had a great year last year, and I was really interested to see if he could continue the magic that he had at the college level, some that we saw as a rookie, but then he tore his ACL, and that's Joe Burrow. Um, anytime he's on the field, I really feel like he's a quarterback that can just make something happen. He seems to make all those guys around him better. Now, how much better did he make uh, You know, Chase? How much better did he make T. Higgins? I don't know, but he was able to utilize the tools that he had, and I know he made Joe Mixon better. I know he made that offense a hell of a lot better when he was on the field than when he wasn't, and it's just fun to watch how he operates within the offense. Last year, how how he escaped the pocket from an offensive line that was awful uh, and still was able to make things happen. Uh, and the other guy that I watch, and it's kind of along your lines, like, you know, our eyes always go to what happens up front. And I watch Aaron Donald because I'm trying to find out if he is the best of all time. Is he better than Lawrence Taylor? And I don't know that we'll ever really be able to answer that question because they play two different positions, the two different eras. Yeah, an offensive lineman stuck back then too. Well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you answer that question when those guys come knocking. Uh, But the game was just different. Uh, And when you watch Lawrence Taylor, you watch the way he pass rushes. You watch. I mean, he was way ahead of his time. Uh, in regards to some of the things that he was doing, moves off of moves. And and um, and studying the game as a student, now if you ask him, you know, the, the, the capital of some states, he might not be able to answer that question. But when you ask, all right, you know, you're going to play, and now Jumbo had to, to face him, Jumbo Elliott. Um, and I've talked to Jumbo, and he said that he would study the game of football. He would study his opponent. And I just – I'm, I've always been kind of mesmerized at guys that took a, a a cerebral approach to the game that also were great physically. Uh, and I think Aaron Donald does that as well. He's a, a, a master of his craft. And when you watch him, I, I sometimes think, okay, if I was playing against him, how would I block him? And you can come up with all the greatest plans in the world. And sometimes hey, when the ball is snapped, you get hit in the mouth. That, oh, that plan goes to <laughs> As you know, and you know as well as anybody that it sometimes on any play, any given Sunday, you know, somebody can just dominate. And I love watching how he tries to and sometimes does take over games from that defensive tackle position. Yeah. Um, so those are three guys that, that I, I love to to watch play the game that are, are currently playing. Now I'm gonna ask you this question. I do enjoy watching Aaron Donald. I mean, for me, I just 
it's hard to pick defensive linemen just because I hate them so much. Right. <laughs> like, they're all scumbags in my mind. They are. They're all cheaters. <laughs> On the field, at least. Yeah, they they're are. all cheaters. <laughs> like, I just all hate all of them. pitching and moaning, complaining to the yeah, officials. you're right. I mean, honestly, I think Aaron Donald, when it's all said and done, I mean, there's still talk about him, uh, you know, future and what's he going to do. Obviously, I think it's just, you know, kind of a contract ploy. But I do think when it's all said and done, he is going to go down as probably the best defensive player of all time. Um, he's just unique. I mean, I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, obviously, you know, there was comparisons to him and John Randall who played a long time in Minnesota, who was a, a beast at defensive tackle. I never played against a guy there. Obviously don't watch a lot of film of him, but Aaron Donald, for me, it's just hard when you look at a guy like that, it's hard to picture anybody being better. You know what I mean? It's just that that's when, when they play at such a high level, it's hard to think, Okay, he's good, but not quite as good as that guy because it's like, well, who who the hell's better than Aaron Donald? He does everything, you know. And he he's one of those generational type talents. The only problem I had with your list, though, I do agree with you. I mean, Mark Andrews is uh, a fascinating player to watch, but if I had to pick a tight end, man, I I love watching George Kittle play, and it's because yeah. of the reasons you mentioned about Mark Andrews. I just think that he is one of the most premier blocking tight ends. I mean, a lot of the outside zone stuff that uh, San Francisco does relies on the tight ends blocking and George Kittle being able to reach a defensive end, being able to reach an outside linebacker, being able to climb on the double team with the tackle, uh, you know, to take care of the front side linebacker or safety, whoever it is. And he's just, I mean, he's a highlight reel. Every single game he's putting dudes on their back. You know, I can't remember who it was last year, but uh, gosh, I don't want to throw names out. It was a, you know, Pro Bowl type defensive end that he was just pancaking, you know, left and right. And it's like, holy shit. Like you, I love seeing that because I think there's a trend. There has been a trend, like you mentioned, of tight ends just becoming big glorified receivers and these guys wanting to get paid like receivers. Um, I think it says a lot about a guy when they're able to buy into uh, not only being a you know dynamic playmaker when it comes to the passing game, but doing the dirty, yeah. right? Doing the dirty stuff, getting your hands dirty pardon my language, and just, you know, going, locking, putting your face mask on a dude's chest, locking, you know, your arms on his chest pads, and just driving him around the field. I mean, I think that's – I don't think it's a lost art when it comes to tight end, but I think it's definitely something that's not celebrated as much as, um, you know, now just the way they're pass, they're, they're catching the ball and, and, and making plays uh, in the passing game. But Kittle for me is I think if I was coaching tight ends at – you know, a youth level, a high school level, a college level, he would probably be the first guy that I put up on the screen and watch his game and watch his technique and watch his fundamentals about how he is doing in the run game because he just he he just has he the, the ability to buy in and you know the the fundamentals that he has, the technique that he has, right? That tells me that guy's working his ass off to be a really good run blocker. That's something that I really appreciate about his game. Yeah, um, and let me finish our, me, uh, this this edition. What, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to ask you a question. It, it just kind of sparks my mind. There were there any players when you were playing that on the opposing team that you would maybe stand up on the sideline and kind of watch a little bit. Weren't they generational-type players for you? And I can start it off. I mean, for me in Green Bay, every time we played Minnesota, right, the offense is – when the defense is on the field, you're sitting on the bench, you're getting some water, you're getting some oxygen, whatever it is. 
there were a lot of times I was standing up watching Adrian Peterson. <laughs> I oh, mean, no. him in his heyday, you know, I, I mean, pretty similar to Derrick Henry. I mean, just physicality-wise, obviously not size-wise, but uh, just with even a little bit more shake and burst. I mean, in his prime, you talk about 2010, 11, 12, 13, whatever it was. I mean, the one year he almost broke the, uh, the rush, rushing record. It was 2,000-something yards. Um, He was a guy that I always kind of stood up. And obviously, you're in a bind. You don't want him to have success. But you also, you're like, dude, I got a front-row ticket to watch one of the best ever to do it. And there were some games he run through our defense, and I'm like – Gosh, I feel bad for those guys, man. This guy's a beast. I mean, he was he was one of the two guys, Adrian Peterson and Calvin Johnson. I used to stand on the sideline and just watch Calvin Johnson when he played uh, against us because you just got that feeling that he was just a generational-type talent, and you didn't know if you were going to see one of those players again. And he was just so special. I mean, you know, triple-teaming the guy, and he's jumping up, making plays. It was just like – how the hell do you defend this guy, man? He was he was special to watch too, and that for me, you just, you don't get it a lot because you usually don't care what's going on when the defense yeah. is out on the field. But for me, when those two guys were playing, I mean, I tried to make a point to kind of stand up and just watch because that's how much appreciation and respect you have for those type of uh, you know generational type talents. Yeah, um, when so I'll give you a couple because you know obviously when we're on the sidelines. Uh, the opponent's offense is out there. So, you know, we only really get a chance to watch those type of guys. Right. Um, one of them was Emmett Smith. Um, when I watched him, uh, every time that we played against Dallas, it was like, I mean, Jesus Christ, can we not stop this guy? And, you know, you look at his career, and there's a lot of people, a lot of teams that were trying to, you know, make that happen. You could, just couldn't stop him. Uh, and so that was, that was one guy that I just – I would watch, watch how he moved, watch how he ran, watch how he would line up in the backfield, and it was just you know you knew you were watching a Hall of Famer, yeah, uh, and just you know kind of in awe that the fact that you got a front row seat. Now, in terms of you know a guy that I played against um, when I was on the field, uh, Mike Strahan, and I've talked about him before, and the respect I had for him of watching his film watching how he would do something a little bit different on a game-to-game basis. Every time I played against him, it was something different. And I you know, played against him for a decade, you know, other than games where he was hurt or I was hurt, twice a year. And just how he continued to evolve as a player. Now, there were things that obviously he did well that he continued to do well, and that was his go-to. But when guys are, I mentioned this before, students of the game, the guys that are just really good athletes, you can find a way to block. And you may not do it the first time, may not do it the second time, but you can crack that code. The guys that are constantly changing what they do, those are the ones that end up being the, the greatest of all time. Now, I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time, but he's a Hall of Famer that I had a chance to play against. And the part of the reason why he was so good was because he would evolve throughout his career yeah. in regards to what he would do. Um, now, I do have a quick question for you. Because uh, we talked about the three guys that uh, that we you know, enjoy watching across the NFL, is there a guy on this Lions roster that you, when they take the field at training camp, they take their first spring training game, their first regular season game, that a hey, that's where your eyes going to go? You want to see exactly what this guy is doing and what he's what he's going to be in twenty twenty two. 
I mean, I think the easy choice is Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. right? Just with the hype around being the number two pick and um, the holes on the defense, right? The lack of pass rush that they've had for the last couple of years and how important that's going to be to this team. Um, I want to see if he's going to be a guy that maybe the first couple times you watch him has got a little spark where you say, okay, he's going to be an impact player from day one. Or or maybe, you know, sometimes you look at a guy and say, okay, you know, they need to keep continuing to improve a little bit. And, um, you know, a lot of rookies go through that. But I think that's probably the easiest choice. But, um, I mean, I'll throw a kind of curveball at you. Like, I'm really excited to see what Panay Sewell can do year two. I mean, last year, uh, you know, a lot of talk about what positions are going to play left tackle, right tackle, works right tackle the whole offseason and and, and uh, preseason and everything. Then Taylor Decker gets hurt, and he's back to left tackle. Decker comes back, goes back to right tackle. Right? It was just a lot of moving parts for a 20-year-old rookie, um, you know, to where you y- didn't really feel like he started to come into his, you know, talent level play to his talent level until late in the season because by that time you know three four five games on your belt at right tackle you're like okay he's going to be a good player but the one thing that I really love about his game is just his his toughness his demeanor the old school kind of mentality where you know you're watching the game against uh the Rams you know last year and you, you hear a bunch of whistles going off, and you're like, okay, little skirmish, who is it? Oh, it's Aaron Donald and Panay Sewell. Like, yep. okay, all right, young buck, you know, choose your battles wisely. And then, <laughs> yep. you know, a couple of weeks later, you, you hear a couple more whistles, guys chirping, you look over, and it's Jadavian Clowney and Panay Sewell. And you're like, all right, man, he's going after, like, the big dogs, right? I respect the hell out of that. This kid's trying to trying to get out there and, uh, you know, kind of set the tone from an offense perspective. He's a guy that I'm excited to watch in year two, right? I, obviously, I think uh, we're all expecting him to find that home at right tackle position permanently, um, as long as Taylor Decker's here at least. But I'm excited to see what he can do in year two because there was a lot of really good stuff he did last year. Um, and I don't even think he's close to hitting his ceiling. I mean, you talk about a kid who's entering year two, 21-year-old. I don't think he's going to be 22 until uh, October or November, young kid. Um, I, I'm really excited to watch his trajectory just to see, try to get a glimpse of how good he's going to be because you saw it last year. I think this year we're going to see it at even a more explosive rate as far as holy this dude is he's going to be a stud i'm yeah. excited to watch his his uh, second year path well i'm i am excited about those guys as well excited that we are inching and it sometimes feels like inching but we are getting closer to uh fall camp uh as news continues to come out of allen park we'll bring it to you here we'll continue to break down the expectations that we have for the players for the coaches for the team in this upcoming season uh for the detroit lions right here on necessary roughness